Good morning. Let's take a moment right now um, to center ourselves in worship and um, just to calm our minds at this time as we kind of begin today in First Samuel 28. I just need to pray a little bit, and so we can kind of center ourselves together today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for giving us an opportunity to worship together. God, I pray that uh, through the words here in First Samuel 28, uh, that these words will uh, ring into our hearts. Uh, God, I ask that the Spirit uh, guides us this morning, uh, that the Spirit uh, convicts us of whatever uh, needs to be convicted of this morning. Only you know that answer and help us to be aware of that answer when we hear it. It's in Christ, let me pray. Amen. So today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And I want you to think, I've probably asked this question before, but I apologize if I have, but I want you to think of a time where you personally received a bad gift. We just got done with the gift-giving season. My son's birthday is tomorrow. Maybe he's going to receive some bad gifts from me. I don't know. We'll see to be determined. But think of a time when you yourself have received a bad gift. I'm not gonna, I've never received a bad gift before. Um, maybe I have. But I just, I, to me, this is kind of like a complex idea, right? A gift is a gift. Is there such a thing as a bad gift? Maybe, maybe not. I, I was thinking about it in terms of it really depends on who is giving you the gift that you receive in order that it is a bad or a good gift. Right, so say, for instance, that you are a fan of a particular sport. Maybe it's basketball, football, whatever it is, and you support a particular team. And a coworker of yours, they're thinking of you, it's the holiday season, or maybe it's your birthday, and they get you a personalized gift. And they know that you love basketball, and they get you a basketball gift, but it has nothing to do with the team that you like. Right? For me, if you gave me a Miami Heat, anything, I would be pretty upset by that. Right? But... Since you're somebody that's a coworker or somebody at the church and you say Jimmy talks about basketball all the time, you get me a Miami Heat thing, I'm not going to be upset because guess what? You thought of me, right? It's very kind that you got me this gift. You know that I like basketball and it's very kind that you did that for me. It's a different situation that if I get, wake up Christmas morning and I open up a gift and it's a basketball jersey or a basketball something from my wife and it's a Miami Heat something or other, right? That would be a very different situation. You see what I'm getting at, right? The gift that you received often comes from the person giving it to you. The coworker is thoughtful. It's very kind. I'm not going to wear that thing. I'm not going to display that thing, but it's very kind that you thought of me. My wife getting me the Miami Heat thing, not very kind, right? She would never do that. Because when someone does that, that, that someone that, that you love and trust, and they get you something that you would have no use for, you kind of start to ask yourself the question, do you even know me at all? <laughs> right? You know that I like this thing, but I don't like that thing. Right? You do not know me. If you knew me, if you actually listened to me sometimes, you would realize that I have no use for that thing in my life. The gift depends on who the gift giver is and how we receive that gift matters. We're going to return to this idea later, so keep that thought in mind as we continue on today in 1 Samuel chapter 28, this idea of the gift giver, this idea of not knowing, truly knowing the person who is giving you this gift or receiving this gift. So today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we're going to set the scene very quickly here in these first few verses. If you remember last week, David's kind of living in the, not kind of, he's living in the land of the Philistines, Right? He's almost kind of doing the bidding of a kish in some ways. A kish. And I, I learned last week that for our interpretation tablet over here, every time I say a kish, it comes across as a kiss. 
So I am not saying a kiss, okay? I'm saying a kiss, the bad guy. So David's living with this group. Are we getting a lot of feedback here? All right. I'm trying to stand further and further away from that microphone. Okay. Um, David's living here, trying to stay away from Saul. Saul is not pursuing him any longer because of this distance, but now it seems the Philistines are coming to his door, and it seems that the table's kind of turned to where Saul has no other options, right? Beginning in verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Kish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself that your servant, what your servant can do. Akish replied, very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead and all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spirits from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shurnam. While Samuel gathered all of Israel, excuse me, Saul, I got Samuel in the brain. While Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. So Saul is in a deep conflict now with the Philistines. Like I said before, David went to live with the Philistines so that Saul would not have any business fighting after him, or excuse me, finding him. And so now it seems that the Philistines have come to him, and unsurprising to all of us in this room, Saul is afraid and he can't hear from God, right? This has been the case for a very long time, it seems. Like even before David was the anointed king, right, Saul was battling these kind of things in his life, right? He had these evil spirits coming upon him, and he was not able to talk with God as much as he had been before. So he tries something else, Right? Saul is a master of finding another way opposite of what God would probably want him to do. Right? He goes and he consults a medium. And we're not talking about shirt sizes here, okay? We're talking about someone who has some kind of clairvoyant ability. And before we go on, I'm just going to preface this. This chapter is strange, okay? And if you're with me, just acknowledge that it's strange at times. I promise we'll get there. But it is going to be a little bit strange, okay? Beginning in chapter 28, verse 8. So Saul disguised himself putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said, surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done. He has mediums and spirits from the, spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Backwards. Very, very strange. It, it, it's so strange here because if you think about Saul, remember why he was kind of elected king in the first place? He was tall and handsome. He was a head, head higher than anybody else around. So A, it's funny to think about Saul putting on a disguise that nobody's going to recognize him, right? It's this very tall man. He must have made himself look less handsome at least, right? Whatever disguise he puts on. And he goes and consults a spiritist, a medium. And not only does he consult her, he was the per person getting rid of these people from the land. Do you see all the irony stacked on irony throughout this entire chapter? And then when the spirit has said, hey, Saul has been kicking my kind of people out of town. You're laying a trap for me. Saul says, I swear by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. This is all backwards. 
Saul is in this kind of hopeless cycle. Remember last week when David was hopeless and he went to go live in the land of the Philistines? Saul has been hopeless for a very long time. This is kind of par for the course for Saul, right? He's doing this kind of thing over and over and over again. He is desperate. So he consults the very person that he has been persecuting for a very long time. And to make matters even more complicated, if we look at Leviticus, right, a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Saul has dug himself deeper and deeper, okay? If you learn one thing from 1 Samuel, there's always deeper your person can sink to because Saul is the poster child for this kind of in his life, right? But again, this is normal behavior for Saul. Further and further away he goes from God, the more he tries to pursue David, he is kind of making a mockery of the anointing that he once received. But nevertheless, we are here with Saul, and this is what happens next. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face on the ground. So like I said, this is a very strange chapter. And if you're really interested in the inner workings of this, I really encourage you to go read. There's a lot of smarter people than me on the internet that have a lot of great ideas about what's actually taking place. But sometimes when we read scripture, we get caught up in the weeds and we don't see what's actually being taught to us about God in this, in this time, Right? We can talk about this. I think it'd be great for a Bible class to discuss and learn more. But I think we could miss what's actually happening for the sake of the things that are happening around here. What is this telling us about God and specifically the relationship between God, Samuel, and Saul here in this place? Okay. To me, this is kind of screaming. It kind of goes in the face of what God should be about. right? We just read Leviticus where it says this kind of person should not be doing this kind of stuff. But God is able to use this woman in this way to once again speak and communicate with Saul. It's like Saul goes and flies in the face of God, going to the very person he knows he shouldn't go to consult with God and to consult with Samuel here. And God actually uses this person in this way to give Saul exactly what he wants. And to me, God is saying, I can accomplish these things in a way that you don't expect me to accomplish them. Right? I'm going to use the very person that you, know, you wouldn't expect me to use, a.k.a. Saul. This is a bigger metaphor, people, right? Saul is just like this medium, right? He was not supposed to be the guy that, that's leading Israel, right? He, Samuel was supposed to be leading. God was supposed to be leading Israel, but the people wanted a king so badly they went to Saul. And Saul wants to communicate with somebody so badly, he goes to a medium. And guess what? God used both of those peoples in radically transformative ways beyond what they could ever think or imagine. Isn't that weird? How God is able to use this person in this way to kind of communicate here with Saul. But let's not get past the situation. Okay, so Saul goes to this medium. shouldn't be doing that. God uses this medium, okay, to speak with Samuel. Why is Saul calling up Samuel. 
Do you guys remember the complicated relationship they had before? You remember it in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where this whole chapter kind of is referring to. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is the part where Saul was supposed to go and decimate the Amalekites, but he doesn't do that, right? He actually takes the, the king of the Amalekites as hostage. He, he takes some of their stuff. He takes some of their people. And then when he's confronted by Samuel, what does Saul do? He backpedals. He's like, wait, I did all that for God, right? I did all these good things because I wanted to give God the best things. And Samuel's like, no, God didn't want you to do that. And eventually Samuel has to pay for you know, kind of Saul's transgression here. But listen to these words here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26. Excuse me, verse 24. This is when Saul is convicted by Samuel. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command, your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people, before Israel, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. And if you skip down to chapter 16 here, this is, or excuse me, the end of chapter 15 going into chapter 16. This is what it says. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gilbeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. I, I say all that to say it's kind of remembering the past relationship that Samuel did have with Saul. Saul was kind of connected to God through Samuel's actions, right? Samuel's the one who anointed Saul. And so I think it it's kind of makes a little bit of sense that the one person that he can call up to, it's almost like the adult child calling back to their parents saying, how do I do laundry? <laughs> how do I pay taxes again? I'm in a little, I got into a car accident. What should I do, Mom? What should I do, Dad? I can almost see Saul saying, I just need to talk to Samuel and everything's going to be fine again. But as you can see from the situation around us, this chaotic situation, because that's what I want you to see chapter 28 as. It's chaos. This whole chaotic situation, it's kind of summed up in Saul just reaching out for any kind of last grasping straw that he could reach for. He wants some connection. He wants something to have, to, to, to talk to God, to get out of this situation because he's afraid. But this is what Samuel's response was to when he kind of sees Saul. So Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and, the God, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Dad, I don't know how to do laundry. Much, much more complex. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? 
Remember what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 15? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom just like he tore the kingdom earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord and carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver, you, deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all day and that night. So Samuel, as this security blanket kind of for Saul, has kind of been slapped across the face with the reality of the situation. The prophecy is still true. The kingdom is still torn. And one day you're going to die and you're not going to be this person that you think you are, Saul. I read this and I kind of want to say, what did you think he was going to say, Saul? Do you not remember the past interactions that you guys had? Do you not remember what's already taken place? You are so far from God. Just look at the situation you're in. You're disguised right now, going to a medium, looking for some kind of reassurance for something you already know the answer to. What did you think Samuel was going to say? What did you think this word from God was going to bless you? It's kind of crazy, but again, this hopelessness cycle is ringing true through the life and actions of Samuel, or excuse me, of Saul, just like they were from David. And it's funny to think that even where David is now, living with the Philistines, doing things that God probably doesn't want him to do, he in that situation is closer to God than Saul has been for a very long time. Think about that. David is closer to God right now than Saul is. You have no clue, Saul. And we could end here, and, and going back to like the first thing I wanted you to think about, about you know, do you even know me with this gift that you're giving me? I, I kind of think, Saul, it's like, man, do you even know God? Did you ever know God? By doing these things, it doesn't seem like you ever did know God. And we could sit here, and we could, we could, I could do the altar call and say, do you know God? And that could, that could be a fine place to end. But I want us to kind of dig a little bit deeper here. And I want to I see the reality is, because I'm dumping on Saul a little bit here, but I want to kind of bring it back on us. We search for mediums all the time when we should be searching for God. We search for mediums instead of searching for God all the time. The little bits and pieces that make us feel closer to God than we actually are. What can I do to seem close to God is kind of the question. What can I do to, to seem in a certain way, to seem like a certain person that is searching after God's will in my life? How can I seem that way but not live it in reality? What kind of Devo books can I pick up and check off today that I read my Devo book? Or what thing can I listen to? What podcast? What sermon? What seat can I sit in today at church so that I can consult the medium instead of God? Because guys, if you're relying on me, or this service, or your Bible class for your own pursuit of God, I'm, really, I'm a really bad substitute. <laughs> okay, we're a cheap imitation of a YMCA if you're coming here for your spiritual nutrition only, right? And I'm not saying this is a bad place. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come here and be refreshed because that's what we're here to do, right? Communally refresh one another to remind each other about the community of Christ. But this is, if this is the only place that you come, you're just consulting a medium just like Saul is. 
And now it is different. I promise it's different. I promise that I'm not going to conjure any spirits up here or do any of that kind of stuff. It's not like that, but it's a whole lot more similar to that if you think about it. If you are just coming here for this to be your only dose of spiritual nutrition, you're just like Saul. If you're not living a life according to what he's called you to be and do, you're just consulting mediums instead of pursuing God. I don't actually want to, to have God in my life. I, I just want to seem a certain way. If that's, your, if that's your thought process, I want to encourage you that the opposite is actually a whole lot better than that reality. Actually having God in your life, looking at the lives between David and Saul, one is obviously better than the other, right? Nod your heads if you're with me, okay? One is obviously better. We're not disguising ourselves. Maybe if we want to get really metaphorical about it, we can talk about getting dressed up for church and disguising. I don't know. I'm not going there. But we could if we wanted to. But as I read this and as I look through this, I keep going back to these words of Jesus, okay? Follow along with me here. In Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I can't help but echo back to what David talked about with Saul because evildoers do evil deeds, right? Is your heart transformed by this? Are you afraid that one day you're going to be called up and you're going to say, I knew Jesus because I went to Bible class, or I knew Jesus because I was a member of the Melbourne Church of Christ? Guess what? Those things, one does not mean the other, right? This is where we come together. This is a very important place. Don't walk away from this saying, Jimmy hates church. I don't, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this is a very, very small piece in the grand scheme of things. You with me? A very, very small piece, an important piece. We ought to come and be a part of this. We ought to, okay? Please hear that. It's a very small piece, but it is ultimately a piece that's, that's getting you deeper and deeper into knowing who God is calling you to be every day to the point to where you are not the person saying, Lord, Lord, I know you, and God saying, guess what? You didn't really. So I have two questions that I want us to ask ourselves, to be refreshing our minds, to do what Paul is saying, to renew our minds daily. I want us to renew our minds with these two questions for today, okay? I don't have answers. I have questions. And we just talked about this. The first question I want you to think about today is, am I consulting mediums in place of God? Is the Sunday morning worship service just a place where I am consulting and then going about my business Searching for the thing that can make me seem a certain way or do a certain act or, or, or feel a certain way, whatever it might be. Is that all this is in place of truly knowing God, in, tr in place of truly pursuing God in my life? And the second question is, do my actions show that I know God and that he knows me? Do my actions show that I know God? If we look at Saul's actions, he clearly does not know God. We, there's so much here in 28 about just this idea where God looks at the heart, right? And that's, that was his whole thing about David, was that his heart is going to be in pursuit of me for his entire life, whereas Saul's heart had to be changed by God, right? And our hearts are changed by God, but really Saul was about the outer appearance. And then we fast 
forward to, to 1 Samuel chapter 28, and he's distorting his appearance even more. It's all about appearances for Saul. Whereas David's heart, even when he makes mistakes, even when he seems far from God, his heart, his disposition is always focused on God. And his actions, even when he makes bad mistakes, are always going back, God, purify my heart, create in me a clean heart. Allow your actions to show that you know God and that really the inverse is true as well, that he knows you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us an opportunity um, to really ask ourselves, do I know you? If I were to give you a gift, God, would you look back at me and say, do you know me at all? Are our actions kind of being uh, distorted? Are we consulting mediums instead of consulting you, God? Are we allowing ourselves to trick our own you know, behavioral patterns to do things in a certain way, to seem a certain way, God? Or are we actually pursuing you with our hearts? God, help us to be in clear pursuit. Help us to sprint after you and to recognize that that you are the only one who sustains. God, thank you for this truth and help us to realize it in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you have any needs, we want to offer an invitation now. If you are feeling like, you know, I don't even know how to get out of this cycle I'm in, I pray that you talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.